Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Hello. Welcome to Thrive. My name is Christian McCartney. There are a lot of new people here, so I will introduce myself again. The attractive guy in the front, Christian McCartney. Um, can we just give a minute, look at this title slide here. Conversations with Jesus, get it? If you're normal and you have an iPhone, this is what your messages look like. And get it like the other person. So our graphic type of designer person is Morgan McCloskey right there. Is that not phenomenal? Is that not a phenomenal job? I mean, if this were me, this would be a PowerPoint. It would say, you know, Luke 18, 18 through 30. So we're just so thankful for her. We're thankful that we have talent who are really good at organizing and designing and planning and all that. Um, so the sermon series is going to be titled Conversations with Jesus. I think we have like six or seven right now planned for you guys. Um, a lot of foreign and local talent coming in. But I think the first question we should ask ourselves if we come in here, why does it matter, right? Okay, conversations with Jesus, great. I have a lot of conversations every day with my friends. Why don't I give a sermon series about that? Well, Jesus and Christian McCartney aren't exactly the same, and I'll tell you why. Um, as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, we believe in the only Son of God, Jesus Christ, was pre-incarnated, and then he was incarnated in the flesh at like around 0 AD, so like 2,000-ish years ago. We believe that he walked around the earth for 30 years and then was crucified, was buried, and then rose again to an eternal state of glorification where he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We believe that while this guy was on the earth, he did everything perfectly according to the Old Testament law, that he never sinned in his thought or in his mind or deed, and that he is the image of the invisible God. We believe that he knew the thoughts and the intentions of man, had power over natural and supernatural events, and is the only one worthy to offer up restitution to God the Father on our behalf through his death, burial, and resurrection. So the reason that we're giving a whole sermon series about this is because we believe that Jesus of Nazareth was not just the most influential man in history, but is the most influential guy in our lives today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 18, 18 through 30. This is the longest sermon notes I've ever written, so I'm going to get out of here like 10, 30, 11, and we'll all be good. So um, uh, let's begin with verse 18. This parable is called The Rich Young Ruler, The Conversation with Jesus. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So uh, let's stop right now and realize that this is the only time in the entire gospel, this and some of the other parallel passages, where Jesus is called good teacher. Okay, most of the time he's called teacher or rabbi. It's the only time in the Bible where he's called good teacher. So right away we know that this man is laying it on thick, way thick. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, beautiful Christian, besides you, what does it take to be attractive? You know, it's like, okay, calm down, king. They're coming up to me, you know, shoulders coming back, and he's like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, and you know people like that who like to lay it on a little thick. That's what this guy was doing. And so right away when he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We know. Now, it's a logical fallacy for two reasons. The first one is it's an appeal to flattery, calling him good teacher. The second one is called begging the claim, which means he's trying to get Jesus into side of his logic so that Jesus says the answer he wants. So not only is it a flattery question, it's basically um, a loaded question. It's a false dichotomy there. 
Now, if you were Jesus, right, and somebody came up to you, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not that hard of an answer. I mean, I don't think so as a Christian. Um, If you were Jesus, what would you say? I'd probably be like, uh, believe in me and get baptized or, you know, go to church. No, I won't say that. Or I'd say like, um, maybe, you know, you need to trust me and believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that I'm Savior. Jesus doesn't say that, right? Because Jesus isn't in the business of playing somebody else's game, right? He's not in the business of following around your little uh, construct that you've designed in your head. And here he says, uh, we'll read the first part of 19a, or verse 19. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? And this part wrestled my mind around for months the first time I read it. I remember I was like, why do you call me good? That's a huge thing. Who else is gooder, okay, like that? Who else is gooder than Jesus in that whole place? Thank you. (laughs) Anyone else besides anything other? No one, right? No one is better than Jesus. No one is gooder, if you will, than Jesus. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? And I remember the first time I read this, I was just like sitting down, like did not understand. Uh, He's the best guy in the room. Why would he say that? But uh, Jesus, and we go to verse 19 at the end, and then this kind of makes a little sense, 19b. He says, no one is good except God alone, right? So this man has a false dichotomy, comes up to Jesus, who he doesn't believe is Lord anyway, says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows his dichotomy, right? We said he knows the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man, and so he stops him right there. And says, I'm not going to play this game. He doesn't actually say that. That's my interpretation. But he doesn't play his game and says, listen, no one is good except God alone. So it's not that you're good and I'm a little better and somebody's better than you, right, if I'm a man. It's God's good and nobody else is worth anything. That's the dichotomy. The dichotomy isn't like gradual righteousness. It's only God is good and nobody else is good. This doesn't make sense, right? But it doesn't make sense yet because we don't know the man's heart and we don't know the rest of the story. Um, and this makes a little bit more sense that only God is good. Um, to use my analogy of me being attractive, I was going to use like my piano example, right? If somebody's like, you know, Johan, what must I do to be a good piano player? None of you guys would understand that. So that's the reason I have to use me being attractive analogy. Isn't that hard of a stretch though? Um, if someone would walk up to me and say, hey, beautiful, how can I get as beautiful as you? And I would say, you know, use a moisturizer and take a shower and, you know, whatever else people do. Um, what if the guy's like, well, I already do that, right? <laughs> oh, wow, we're both beautiful together, right? But that's, what, that's not the answer comparatively that Jesus gives, right? The answer comparatively that Jesus gives is, like, nobody's attractive but Brad Pitt. And that knocks it down because they're like, I might be good, but I'm never that good. We're talking about, like, Troy, Troy but Brad Pitt, not like the old guy now. But, like, that... What he's saying is, listen, your standard for goodness, right, your standard for attractiveness is not as high as it should be. You think that being good is just walking around and, you know, flaring your flannel jacket around and thinking that you're the, you know, best thing. That's not what being good is. Only God is good. Hopefully that made sense. It probably didn't, but we're just going to pretend. But to play along, Jesus continues to go on, and he says in verse 20, you know the commandments, Okay, he says, you know the commandments. He says that to this Jewish guy. That's like saying to you guys, you know, you know the Constitution or something real big. You know the commandments. Notice what he says. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. 
Honor your father and mother. Now, how many commandments are there? Now, did Jesus give ten? That's weird. I bet he didn't remember or forgot or something. No. Jesus here is throwing this guy a softball, right? Now, the Ten Commandments are the foundation, let's say, of Judaism, right? It's like me going up to you and being like, how do I be a good American, right? You start with the Bill of Rights. You start with the Constitution. I'm not going to start with, uh, you know, some self-improvement handbook because the crux of what it means to be an American is in the Constitution, right, or in the Declaration of Independence. And you read that stuff, and that's what it means. That's what it means. That's the basis And when Jesus says that to this man, it's the basics of what it means to be a Jew. Um, But Jesus specifically picks the commandments. He doesn't say all ten. So I asked our great visual person here to do the next slide. And these are the ten commandments here, okay? Um, Yeah, I know. They were actually written in English when they were put in, so this is a literal picture. (laughs) No, please. Okay, so those are they, one through five, six through ten. Now go to the next slide. These are the ones that Jesus says are the ones that I crossed out, okay? Which ones does he not say? Which ones does he not focus on? Okay, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And now those are the first four commandments. And then the 10th commandment that he doesn't say is thou shalt not covet, right? Now, is that a big deal that he says some and doesn't say the others? Yes, good. I like the head nods. Now, go back to the first uh, slide, if you will. Now, these first four commandments are what in Bible school we call the heart commandments, right? Because those commandments are things that really people don't know. If you swear under your breath or you say, you know, something under your breath, who's going to know besides you and God, right? Nobody. If you have an idol or in your head, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your relationship or your job or your savings account is an idol, most people don't know that unless you're like crazy clingy or possessive or something, right? Oh, some people are like, he's talking about me. No, I'm not. Okay, but listen, these ones here, five through ten, are, we are what we call like the external commandments. So one through four are these internal, five through ten are these external commandments because if I'm not honoring my father and mother, people know. If I kill someone, sometimes people know, you know. The, the dead guy's like, wow, I'm dead, right? People know. External commandments, right? People know. And go to the slide next. Sorry, Jonathan, you're getting a finger workout. Notice here, Jesus is focusing mainly, right, on the external commandments except number 10. Do we think that's significant? Yes, Yes, we do. Okay, good. Now, and we talked about the ones he did. Interesting. Let's read verse 21. What does the man say when Jesus says, you know the commandments? The man says, says, said, all these I have kept from my youth, right? Wow, what a good guy. Jesus, I have never looked at a woman with lustful intent in my heart. Jesus, I have never thought in my head I wish someone to to die, right? Jesus had said chapters before this that if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery with her. Or if you call your brother Racha, which I think is the Aramaic word for idiot, you said you were in dangers of the fires of hell, he said, right? And so Jesus had clarified the Ten Commandments chapters before. Chapters before talked about that the Ten Commandments are actually high. But that guy doesn't think that. He thinks, well, I've never actually killed somebody. I've never actually slept with someone. I'm pretty good to my mom. I'm pretty good, you know, to my dad. Um, I don't steal. Don't do all that crap, right? All these I have kept for my youth. I can just think he's so excited, right? Two egos stoked. Because what he's expecting from this interchange is Jesus to be like, 
you are pretty good, king. He's like, yeah, tell my friends, you know. He wants his ego to get stoked by Jesus. Have you ever been around someone? I think I'm like this sometimes, but not too much. Have you ever been around someone who you can know what they want you to say before that they, they don't even want to hear your answer. They want you to say something to make them feel good. Does anybody have relationships like that? You're like, and you, I almost don't say it just on purpose to see like, do they even talk about me? Some people ask me, hey, how's your day? And I know all they want me to ask them is how their day is. I know it. And so sometimes I won't even ask them. I'll be like, great. Just stare the whole time. Great. Well, at my day at work, you know, they have to say something. And so, listen, that's what this guy wants. This guy goes up to Jesus. He's convinced of his righteousness. He's convinced that he's done everything right according to the book. And Jesus throws him this softball of Ten Commandments, and he's like knocking it out of the park. Right? He thinks he's killed it. All these I've kept from my youth. And what does Jesus say? He says, oh, I know this. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, I bet that this throw this man for a loop here. Because what commandment in the Bible does it say that? None. Stop answering questions. <laughs> well, I'm just have Nick Miller here. None, right? There's no commandment where Jesus says all that, right? And that's the killer. Because Jesus is saying to him, your money is a God before me, right? This man is rich. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will treasure in heaven and come follow me. And this man's wealth is in the way. And we see the Ten Commandments where Jesus doesn't say, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He doesn't say, don't make for themselves a graven, a craven, carven image. He doesn't say, honor the Sabbath day. He doesn't say, do not covet, because he knows that that's the heart of this man, is this desire towards riches, is this desire towards security. Um, and what I think sometimes we forget is that the standard is a lot higher than we think it is, the standard for perfection. Um, it's like someone going up to me and saying, like, how do I become a phenomenal pianist? And I'm like, well, you just practice 30 minutes a day and throw up sheet music and you'll just play whatever you want, right? And I asked Nolan Miller today, where's he at? Nolan, how often did you, how, every day, how often did you practice for trombone? So three hours, right, is what he did. And I knew people when I went to Kent who would practice four, five, six for piano, okay? It's not just this 30-minute easy throw-up, right? And so what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to make the Ten Commandments this real easy thing and then to make sure this guy knows the cost of discipleship or the cost of following Jesus because it's hard. It takes a lot. And he says, one thing you still lack. I like that one thing you still lack. Imagine Jesus said to you, you just one thing, bud. Oh, thanks. But he's getting at this guy's heart. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, it's not a verse in the Bible where it says that. You're looking through. It's not going to be in the Bible where God said that to the Israelites in Egypt or in the wilderness. It's not in the Talmud. It's not in the Midrash. not in anything like that. But he's saying your money is a God before me. You have a job and it's money. You covet your money. He makes the man feel really good about himself externally so he can just knock him internally. Now we see why Jesus asked to him, like, why do you call me good? Because in this part, you know, I knew I was writing this sermon and as we were singing it in the songs, so I'm going to try to, like, understand this and explain this. But, like, he says to the man, why do you call me good, Right? Because the man doesn't believe that God is good. Does that make sense? Like, the man, if, 
C.S. Lewis once said, like, it's like a kid making mud pies in a slum because he has no idea what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, right? That, that's the quote. It means, like, you're, you're contenting yourself in small things. You're trying to enjoy sin and small stuff, and you're trying to make it fulfill you. For this man, he's trying to use money, and he's trying to make it his God and his idol, and he's trying to make it fulfill him. And it doesn't because infinite joy is offered him. And God basically looks at him through Jesus and says, why do you even call me good? If you're using your money, if you're thinking that your money, for this man it's money, you know, forget money, whatever it is for you. But for this man it's money. And if your money is an idol before God, which it was for this man, he's like, why do you even call me good? Because if you believed that I was good enough, you wouldn't need your money to protect you. You would know God is protecting you. If you believe that I was good, you wouldn't need money and you wouldn't use it as like this crutch because you believe that I'm going to protect you and sustain you and all those things. Jesus is with him on that with his spirituality because Jesus wants to trade his earthly possessions. And I love this kind of like businessman. You follow people on Instagram who are like, you know, I'm really big into crypto and crypto is my life, you know, and stuff like that. It's like it's this big deal. And, you know, it's real like trade for trade for trade and investment and marketing, things like that. It's not like, hey, throw 2000 bucks over here. It's like, no, hey, invest $2,000 here and it'll make you 4000 10 years from now or buy Bitcoin 10 years ago and you'll be a millionaire now, right? It's always quid pro quo, Latin something for something. It's always do this, then this will happen. And look, Jesus is, you, Jesus is in a businessman's mindset right now, right? He says, hey, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, right? It's not just a sink this giant money into this pit for, some, for someone. Like, Jesus is about it. Hey, you're going to have treasure in heaven. Start focusing more on the, uh, the eternal than the temporal. Um, and what is the man's response to this? If, if you'd had this conversation with Jesus, had all of your hope in money or all of your hope in something that was um, temporal or not something existent, what would you say? And let's read verse 23. It says, The man went away sad, for he was extremely rich. And when he heard those things, he went away. And he was extremely sad because he was extremely rich. And this part to me is heart-wrenching. And I think it's that this, it's because we have all looked at the call of Jesus on our lives, right? Jesus, let me rephrase. Jesus isn't asking you to give all your money to me, right? I want a Rolls Royce, but don't give your money to me because I want a Rolls Royce. That's not what Jesus is saying. Give all your money away. He's saying, give all your money away because your money is your security. He's saying, sacrifice what's your security and put your security in me. Now we see why Jesus asked him that. But we've all said to Jesus at some times about his conviction and his call, uh, no, I'm good. You know, nah, I'm good. The man went away extremely sad. You have an idol in your life and you know it. You have something that you put in your life above God and you know it. And you know that God is asking you to sacrifice that and you're like, no. Or you're extremely sad or or it's like hurting you but you're not going to do it. Why? And I was thinking about this, like why did the man not? Question. If if I said to you and, and I was a millionaire, Hey, you're, I will let you live in Disney World for the rest of your life. All you have to do is give me $20, right? It's too good to be true. If you gave me $20, I'd let you go to Disney World. How many of you would be like, that seems like a pretty good trade on my end, right? Because you get to do that, something great. But what would make you not do that? What would make you not give me $20? It would be if you didn't trust me, if you didn't trust my character, 
if you didn't think I was a millionaire, you didn't think I was who I said I was, right? Because this great promise, this beautiful thing that I want to offer you, all gets thrown off the rails if you don't trust me, if you don't believe I am who I say I am. And that's the same deal with God. God is saying, give me your $20, right? Give me the crap that you think is going to fulfill you in this life. Give it to me. I have a whole place prepared for you. John 14, you know, like Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come, for I'm preparing a place to you. And when I come, I will take you again to myself, that where I am, you may be. Right? This is a promise we have as Christians. But why don't we do this? Why don't we sacrifice the things we put our security in? Because we don't trust God. We don't trust that he has our best interest in mind. We don't think that he is who he says he is or that he's going to do what he said we're going to do. And this part to me is sad because I see myself in that guy where he becomes very sad for he's extremely rich. Not like it's this possessions thing for anybody, any one of us sometimes, but it's more of like a, it's our security and it's, our, it's been our security for so long we wouldn't know how to react if it were gone. And maybe life in that new type of normal doesn't, doesn't seem good to you. You don't want to do it. And that's what's sad. Um, if we don't believe that lying and cheating and stealing and coveting and idolatry hurts us and everyone around us, our relationship with God, we've deceived ourselves. And this is the thing. If you don't believe that God has your best in mind for you, start looking at your sin and start believing that that is the worst for you. Right? And that happens to us too. Um, we'll be... We don't trust God what he says about righteousness, and we don't trust God, I feel like, sometimes when it, what he says about sin. Um, and watch what Jesus says in verses 24 through 25 here. He says, Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Um, why does he say this? Because it's hard for people who don't think they need something to take it. At the expense of making like a topical vaccine jab, it's like me offering you an influenza vaccine. You notice how I said influenza? Me offering you an influenza vaccine. Right? If you don't believe influenza is a big deal, are you going to get the vaccine? No, your life isn't affected by influenza. What's it matter? But if you believe like influenza is just like light, it's going to kill you, you're going to get the vaccine. Because I gave, I'm saying to you, I can give this to you for free. But the one time that it won't matter to you is if you don't think you need it. And that's why Jesus says how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because rich people don't think they need it. Um, and I feel like Jesus means here it's hard for people who are full to be filled. And it's like in our world today, um, and especially in America, we have a lot of people who don't think they need God, right, anymore. It's kind of like, yeah, he's there. I mean, I think he exists. I don't really talk to too many people who are like, yeah, God doesn't exist. I think a lot of people know that God exists in their heart. They just don't know who he is or what he's doing or how he's prepared their lives. So they're like, yeah, I'll just kind of float around here. Um, I uh, had a friend of mine in, at Kent. I went to Kent, if you guys don't know, for piano ed. And then I thought, I don't want to do that ever again. But um, <clears throat> anyway, I did it. And I sat there, and I was in a room with my roommate. My roommate was an agnostic. And I sat here, and this was still when Christian McCartney was even more fun than he is now, where I was, like, trying to persuade people all the time. My favorite thing was debating. If you think I'm fun now, just wait back then. I would have proven you were wrong ten different ways. It was so fun. <laughs> and um, no, you would have hated me. And uh, 
I was sat there, and I was talking with this guy, and we talked through everything. We talked through evolution, we talked through creationism, we talked through young earth, old earth, the definition of yam, we talked through Noah's flood, was it global, because this guy is an agnostic and he knows his stuff. And he's talking to me, this can't be true, this can't be true, this can't be true. What if I have to believe in Jesus? Do I have to believe this? Do I have to believe this? Okay, four hours later, I'm, I'm dead serious. It's like one o'clock in my room and I'm like, like I'm losing it, right? I cannot do this anymore. So finally I look at him and I say, if you don't feel like you need any of this, why are we still talking? He's like, because I do feel, <laughs> like screamed at me and like wanted to shake me. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? Because people know, people know in their heart that they have a desire and that they have a need for Christ. And maybe they're not gonna, you know, shake your shoulders and be like, because I do need, but they know in their heart. And if they're gonna admit it to you, fine or not. But our job is to convince them or is to talk with them and say, listen, this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus who's come to this life and into this world's and has changed this man's life. You do need what he has to offer. Um, and let's finally read verses 28 through 30 here. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. So Peter's like, God, we've done it. We've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Um, sacrifice to the Father is never wasted. We all sacrifice what we think is best to what we trust the Father's character in saying. And such sacrifice will be rewarded in this life and also in eternality. Um, maybe you're in this room and you've had your security in something other than the Father or something else other than God. And listen, just... Just admit to him your weakness and admit to them that you've had your security in something else. Um, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be even, you know, quasi-good. You just have to be, like, on the right track. You just have to look, look up to heaven. There's a part in John, we were at a Bible study the other day, and one of my friends said, um, my favorite verse in John is when the, um, the people say to Jesus, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? What must we be doing to be righteous? You know, you say righteousness is so hard and so high. What, was, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says to him, believe in him who he has sent. Right? It's not this hard thing. It's not this litmus test. It's not this do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's believe in Jesus Christ because he's come down 2,000 years ago to save your soul from death. Not just death eternally, but death from this world that we all feel sometimes where our lives aren't worth it or it's not measuring up. Um, because God desires our mercy over sacrifice. Um, let's pray here. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to kind of study at a bird's eye view this passage. Um, we confess right now, Lord, uh, all the times that we have put idols over in our hearts above you, God, where we've made idols of uh, money or security or possessions or friends or relationships, whatever it is, God, um, we confess that to you. We confess the times where we don't trust your character, when we believe that you're a good God, but we don't act like it, when we want our hearts to be in line with your character, but we don't um, make the proper steps to do that, God. And we just pray that you'd forgive us. We pray that this passage would stir us, God. I pray that there's people in here, God, who feel their brokenness, who feel their hurt, who feel their pain, God. I pray that they would reach out to somebody and say, listen, how can I be following this Jesus? How can he take the pain I've been feeling to sin? 
um, and God, for Christians in here, God, or for people who feel like they're walking with you, we just pray that you would help us um, find people, Lord, show them, talk with them, help them realize that there is a Savior named Jesus who's come to help them and save them in this world, God. Um, We love you. We're thankful for your word and for your promises. In your son's name, amen.